Okay then, right, I want you to open your Bible with me in Matthew 22. And uh, I've been doing a theme for a little while, I want to carry on on the theme, I want you to look and look at another parable. Now, some of the stuff I've been teaching has got some substance in it. Uh, I would hope I can make it simple enough that you can easily understand it. And uh, each of the things we've been teaching on has been teaching on the parables of the kingdom of God. The message Jesus came to promote or to proclaim was not that you get saved and go to heaven and the rest of your life you do what you want. His message was that God always had in mind that man would advance his kingdom on the earth. Jesus intervened when man failed to restore us to that place. The plan is the same, that we would advance the kingdom of God on the earth. So his message always was about the kingdom and not only about your life and destiny for the 70, 80 years you live on earth, but it's about an eternal destiny which includes a millennial reign when Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years and our part that we have in that and with him forever. It's probably the simplest way if I could say it is this, whatever you're doing in this life is your apprenticeship for the next. And God's plan is that you would graduate and there would be a next for you to enter into. So we're not talking about working hard to get saved. We're talking about now you're saved, being productive. Amen? Okay then. So having said that, let's pick it up now and I'll go through this parable. I want to open up this parable for you. Uh, You've read it and seen it and some things about it you'll understand, some you may not. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And so he sent his servants out to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted carpal are killed and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. Now when the king heard about this, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go out to the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found both good, uh, bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Uh, And then when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who didn't have on a wedding garment. He said to him, friend... How did you come in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, for there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So this is a parable. Notice what Jesus said straight away. It's a parable. A parable is a story. And the story has got some uh, significant spiritual application. And always when Jesus told parables, he told it because something had just happened or he just said something or something else was about to happen and he used it as a window to illustrate something. So a parable is like a story or a picture story that enables you grasp something that's not so easy to grasp. And so in the period between Matthew 20, 25, 26, around that time, Jesus shares many parables and they're all about the kingdom. So that's what we see what a parable is. Now notice this in verse 1. It says Jesus answered or he replied or he responded, in other words, to something that had already happened. So it's good to look back and see what had happened that is the context for this thing he's about to say. So something has happened or he said something and now he's using the parable to help you understand it. Get the idea? And so... Uh, he's spoken to something that's already happened. Now, in the Gospel of uh, Matthew, Gospel presents Jesus as the king. 
That's how he represents Jesus. He, he speaks of the offer of a kingdom. Jesus came with his message, prepare the kingdom of God is at hand. And he also talks in, in the Gospel of Matthew about the rejection of that offer by Israel. So this is very important that you catch some of the things I share today. And uh, so that's what this, this parable is about. Now, if you go back there and look at uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, you'll understand exactly what it is that's causing Jesus to tell you this parable. Then I'll open up the parable for you. You'll be able to see some things. You'll be able to see the past, you'll see the present, and you'll see the future. And then you can make a decision how you will respond to what you see. Okay, so verse 43, uh, 42, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders. He's talking in parables and so on. And he said, haven't you read in the scriptures, the stones the builders rejected, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting a scripture about himself and he's talking about Israel rejecting their king and their saviour. Then he goes on, he says, therefore, I'm telling you. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Jewish leaders at this time. And he said this, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and it will be given to another nation that bears the fruit of it. Now, what you've got to see is this, is all through history, God has been talking to the Jewish people, prophesying about the coming kingdom, prophesying through prophets and various kinds of messengers he sent. And now Jesus has arrived to say the kingdom is here and they have rejected it. So now he's saying, the offer I had given to you, I'm taking it back. This is a horrendous moment for Israel. And he said, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to another nation which bears the fruit of that kingdom. So the reason that he withdrew the offer is twofold. One, they didn't bring forth any fruit for centuries of input from God and from the gospel and being entrusted with the covenant of God. Secondly, when Jesus himself came, they rejected him. So he says, the offer which I have given to you in the past, I am now withdrawing it. Now, there's the words of Jesus. You cannot get it any clearer than that. Whatever he was offering before, he is now withdrawing the offer. Now, when we say he's withdrawing the offer, you'll find there's actually a period of time over which the offer is withdrawn because after he rises from the dead, he again goes back to make the offer again to them, but they reject and so we'll see that, and it's spelled out in the parable. This is an extraordinary parable. And so, we, so that's the, the context. Now, so who is the nation that God is now offering what was offered to Israel? Who is that nation? Well, it's very simple. Uh, that nation is found in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a holy, uh, you are a chosen generation. Here it is. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Gentiles all over the world. So what he's saying is this. Every person who receives Jesus Christ as their saviour becomes born into the family of God and now becomes part of a new covenant which Jesus has formed and now the offer of the kingdom is for us. See? So you are born into the kingdom of God when you come to Christ. Now there's an offer of something for you. See? The idea. Such a new, now, I'll just give you another scripture. Just we'll hold your place there in Matthew 22. We'll get into that in a moment. I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> and let's uh, read in verse uh, eight, nine and, uh, 8, 9, and 10. Now, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. 
You see that line? Not works, faith. How do you get saved? By faith. Not works. Tell someone, not works. No works. Because if there's any works to get saved, it's not faith. If it's going to be faith and a gift, it can't be works. So God offers you relationship, forgiveness of sins, entrance into another kingdom. He offers you His Spirit to come into, his, into your life. He offers you an intimate relationship with Him that He intends to be fruit-bearing, and it's free. No works. No works, because if it were works, you'd boast. Some would be better than others, and so on. And so it says very clearly there, by grace you say through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. So we're saved. How much works do we have to do to get saved? We don't do any. None. He did the work. We got that part okay. Now does that mean we don't do any works? Not at all, because having got it clear that we're made right with God by faith, now he says it's for a purpose. And here look at the purpose in uh, Ephesians Same place, verse 10. Now we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand we would walk in them. So he says, you are saved or you enter into the kingdom of God not by any work, no busyness, no trying hard, nothing. you just enter in by trusting Christ did it all for you on the cross. You rest on that and stay resting on that. This is how you're in covenant with God. Not by anything you do. If you have a bad day, it makes no difference. A good day makes no difference. You fall over and fall down, makes no difference. You are in covenant by faith. We have to get that firmly grafted into us. You are right with God by faith, not by anything else. Faith resting on what someone else did, the finished work that Jesus did for you. But that is not the end of the story. We're made right with God, so this is what could happen. We could produce something. So being made right with God just remedies the fall part where we fell away from God and walked by ourselves. Now we're positioned to do something and it's the doing something that's in mind or in view here. So now let's have a look. So we remember that we're saved and I'm going to touch on this again a little bit later. Now let's go and have a look at the wedding. And here's the, the parable. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Okay? And so the first thing to see about this parable is that it is prophetic. It covers the past, it covers the present, and it will cover the future. So when we're going to scan through the parable and look at the parable, you'll see some things have already happened, some things are happening now, and some things will happen in the future. So this is a great parable because when Jesus told it, none of the things in the parable really had happened. But once he told the parable, we can actually track through history how it's actually worked out. So let's just follow it through. And in the parable, the parable reveals Jesus as he's the bridegroom, he's the one who is the one whose who's wedding it is, and he is being married to a people he's in covenant with. This is the new generation, this is the, the holy nation. Secondly, we see he's revealed as the king because he comes later on as a king and he comes with supernatural power. As the bridegroom, Jesus is the one who passionately loves us, is intimate with us, longs for us, cares for us, gives to us, is generous to us. He's the lover of our soul. Get firmly rooted and grounded in love. But he's also the king and we're part of a kingdom and it's a matter of not what I think, it's not my opinion, it's what he says is reality that counts. As a king, he has supernatural power. He can bring everything into order at the right time. And finally, we see him there represented as a judge. He does deal out punishment to his enemies. You just got to see that. If you only have the Jesus as the bridegroom, you'll have a message just about the love of God and you'll be in imbalance. 
If you only have the message about Jesus being the king, it'll get a bit authoritarian and legalistic and all about kingdom and order and structure and so on. If you only have the message about him being the judge, it'll be a real hard thing because you'll be living in condemnation all the time. But put together the three pictures of Jesus as the bridegroom, king and judge, you see then the fullness of what he's like. We see him as the one who loves us deeply and passionately. He's full of love and generosity and kindness and mercy. We see him as a king who has a kingdom and there's order in that kingdom, principles and ways that bring blessing and fruit. And we see him also as the one who will one day remove everything from his kingdom that's against love. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. He's done it before and he will do it. And he's doing it now. Okay, then. so that's the first thing we see. Now, uh, these same three aspects that come up in this parable came up, we've already seen them come up in Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins, the parable of the servants, and then the parable concerning the nations. It's already revealed there. We saw it also come in Revelation 19, which we'll get back to. Now let's get further on in the parable and have a look at it. First thing you see is the kingdom of heaven, like a king who arranged the marriage for his son and sent servants to call those who are invited to the wedding. So who was those who are invited to the wedding? This is Israel. When Abraham entered into a covenant with God, it was a covenant. God covenanted with him that he and his generations would be blessed. That is a covenant. And so the invitation then was to all the descendants of Abraham. So over generations, God sent prophets and every generation that God sent prophets, it was to bring them back to him and it was to remind them that they're invited to be part of a great kingdom. He sent prophets to Israel, generation after generation after generation. And we see the last prophet he sent was John the Baptist. So the, the message was an invitation to a coming kingdom. And this is what he had, coming kingdom. Kingdom of supernatural power, of prosperity, of healing, of restoration, of deliverance. All kinds of things. This is what God had in mind for his people. But what happened? How did, the, how did Israel respond to the invitation? Here's the first the first one it says here, it says they were not willing to come. So a whole sector of Israel just refused. They decided they weren't going to be part of it. They abandoned God and went their own way. And it says, he said, oh, he sent other ones in there. And so he sent other servants and said, tell the ones I'm invited, look, I've got it already, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their own way. Made light of it means it didn't mean anything to them. They didn't think it's really important. Like many Christians today, they don't think it's really important, all this stuff. It is really important. It's about your eternal destiny. It's about what will happen in eternity for you. This is really important. Don't make light of the invitation that you have to a great feast, a great celebration with Jesus, a great connecting with him that will go on through the millennium and then into eternity. And so they made light of it. And then it says, uh, the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. Or literally they abused and dishonored or treated them bad. So who did they do this to? Well, first one, they did it to John the Baptist. When Jesus told the story, John the Baptist had already been murdered. Other prophets had been murdered. Shortly, he was going to be murdered. And then when you follow into the New Testament, James was murdered, Philip was murdered, and then a great persecution came, and many believers were murdered. So what he's saying is he's describing what's already happened and what's about to happen. He's saying that the offer being made to Israel, rather than rejoice in the offer and receive the servants of God, they rebelled... They, they abused the servants of God, they killed the Son of God, they put to death his prophets, and he said, so therefore, he said, you know, they haven't treated it properly. So look what happens now. It says, it's, <coughs> it says um, the king heard about this, he was furious. Ever thought of God getting angry? He was furious. What's he furious? He's furious at his people being treated badly. He is furious at his people being treated badly. When Paul was persecuting the church, and he had an encounter with God, 
You know what God said? Why are you persecuting me? He identified so much with his people. He said, when you persecute, when you abuse another Christian, you abuse another believer, it's as good as if you're abusing God. You cannot disconnect your relationships with people from your relationship with God. They go hand in hand, one reveals the other. Jesus identifies. You slander and run down another Christian, you've got issues with God straight away. Because he identifies so closely with his people. He said, we're one. The idea? Okay then. And so the king's response, when the king heard about his fears, he sent out his armies, he he burned the city down and killed his enemies. Now this hadn't happened when Jesus was saying this, but it did happen 70 years later, AD 70, which uh, must be about 40 years later. So from the day that Jesus spoke this, within about 40 years, that's a generation, within about 40 years, this came to a point where it's fulfilled. Now what happened in that 40 years? God kept offering to Israel. And Israel kept rejecting on the whole as a nation. So eventually, AD 70, the city was full with about 2 million people. The armies of Titus came and gathered against the city and the city was literally uh, overthrown, completely destroyed. You can read accounts of it. It's horrendous what happened. It's just unthinkable, the things that happened. About a million people were murdered or put to death in that time and the rest of Israel were taken away into captivity and Israel ceased to exist as a nation from that point. Uh, there was a promise that God would restore Israel, but this is now, you see how prophetic the parable is and how it was fulfilled within a generation. Within 40 years of Jesus saying this, this thing was actually literally fulfilled. The Bible also prophesies in Revelations 19 of another fulfillment related to this, which you can read about. So what happens then? Well, we're still going to have a wedding. We're still going to have a wedding. I've got it all planned and my plan doesn't change because somebody said no. So God still had a plan, but now the fullness of his plan becomes revealed. And he says, now this is what we're going to do. He says in verse 8, the servants, how the wedding is ready, those who are invited aren't worthy. Go to the highways, as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. And the servants went out on the highways and gathered together everyone they found, bad and good, and the wedding hall was full of guests. Go out into the highways, that's the routes out of Jerusalem. Uh, go out into the byways. Go, go, out, go out into the roads that go from Jerusalem. He said, I want you to keep going out till you find people, anyone you find. Before, it was limited to Israel, but now, here's the deal, you can go out to anyone you find, anywhere you find them, and I want you to invite them to the great wedding feast. And we can see that then and, and uh, repeated exactly when Jesus spoke to the church in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, make disciples of all nations. I want my wedding feast filled with people. Why we get involved globally as well as locally. Jesus wants his wedding feast full of people. Full of people. I'm glad to hear of what's going on and the nations we're working in that the, because what will happen is the wedding feast will be full of people. People who responded to our, our, our sending and, and investing and sowing in the gospel going out. And then it says, go out the highways and everywhere. And notice in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming on you. Why? So you can have great experiences? No. To enter you into a new dimension, being led by the Holy Spirit, so you can become a witness to Jesus Christ. Every believer is a witness of some kind. You're a witness of the goodness of God or you're a witness of a soul-centered life. So we're all witnesses of something. And God calls us to be witnesses to him. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the utmost parts of the world. Isn't that fantastic? You and I come in because Israel hardened their heart in that season. The Bible tells us very clearly there'll come a time when God will open their heart again and they'll come in. They'll come in the same way. They'll believe in their Savior 
and then we'll all be one people under God. But in the meantime, we now have a huge offer. We have an offer of a coming wedding feast. Isn't that fantastic? And the wedding feast was full. There were guests. See, the guests responded. So to come to the wedding feast, you've got to first get an invitation. So you are called or invited. Every person here is called. But God has got people out in every part of the community that he's calling as well. They've got it in their heart. They just don't know what the message is or what to say. They need someone to bring the gospel to them, someone to share to them. This God who loves them, he's inviting them to a wedding feast and into a kingdom, and not only will their life change now, it'll change forever. It's the most glorious invitation, a fantastic invitation. It's not an invitation just to come to Jesus, get your sins forgiven and go to heaven. It's much, much, much more than that. That's like the entry. Whoa, we step in, we're in the kingdom. Now what's ahead? Oh, my. There's so much. It's the same with the baptism of the Spirit. You get baptized in the Spirit. That's not the end of it. Now you're introduced to a realm of the Spirit where healings and miracles and deliverances and supernatural occurrences, but you've got to contend for all of that. It doesn't just drop in your lap. When did you last have a miracle? For many people, it was a long time ago. I tell you, it doesn't just drop in your, in your, in your lap. You have to contend for these things. We have to believe for them. We have to stir up our faith, stir up our inner life, stir up our life with God. Why? So we can see the supernatural, see the miraculous, but start to bring forth fruit. The fruit isn't in here. The fruit is when you're in the community touching the lives of people. The fruit is when we minister to people and serve people and help people and show kindness to people, as we'll see that in a moment. So let's have a look at the wedding feast now because there's a bit of a drama here and this will be something that will be good to clear up. He said, now notice that the king came in to see the guests. Now this part hasn't yet come. This part is the future part. This part is yet to come. So we're in the bit between. We're in the bit where now the gospel is going out and we've responded and we're encouraging and going out and inviting others in. But there is a preparation. Everyone knew that if you went to a wedding feast, you had to get dressed up. You have to have a garment. So no one goes in their tatty clothes to a wedding. When you go to a wedding, it's an important occasion. You go there and you dress up. Everyone's dressed up. So we have to go dressed up. So the king comes in and he saw the guests and he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you come in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He was speechless. So, first thing to see is that for what God has ahead for each of us, there is a necessity of preparation. There's a necessity of preparation. God has planned far more than you could possibly think as a reward for your faithful serving of him, as a reward for your life of love and honour to him. He has much, much more ahead. And you prepare yourself for that. It's like, for example, on, a, on, a, on, a, uh, on an apprenticeship, the apprentice prepares himself and then one day graduates as the tradesman. And that's a great day of celebration as the tradesman. So you and I are preparing ourselves, what? Primarily, not for this life, primarily for millennial reign and beyond. That's your primary focus. If it isn't your primary focus, you'll be knocked around by all the disappointments, setbacks and things you have now. We're to keep eternity in mind. Remember a story of someone um, uh, had travelled from uh, missionaries and they suffered very deeply and they travelled from, uh, from India back to England. And they travelled by ship, it's a long trip. And they got there, when they arrived there, there were a lot of people down to greet the ship, as was common in those days, and uh, people were shouting and waving and, and making the various people who were arriving very welcome. 
and they had no one there to welcome them and the, the wife was quite despondent. He said, all these other people have got people here welcoming and celebrating their arrival and we've got no one here. You know, obviously feeling a bit sort of blue over the whole thing. And, and the husband said this, it's okay, we haven't arrived at our destination yet. But when we do, there will be celebration. Okay? It's a matter of eternal perspective. So keep temporal things in mind. So let's have a look at there. It says, the, so it says about the, the, the garment, the wedding garment. Now we need to have a look at this thing of the wedding garment. The first thing I want to talk about is what Jesus said. Notice it says the man did not have on a wedding garment. Uh, it literally means, just states a fact. He was there and he had nothing on him. He had no wedding garment. He wasn't dressed or clad suitable for the occasion. And then G, uh, the, the master or the king uh, speaks and he says, how come you're here not having a wedding garment? He used a different word, not. It's a word meaning had a deliberate intention. The person deliberately did not provide for themselves. In other words, he just states a fact. He was there without the garment. Then Jesus, when he repeats it, or the king repeats it, he says, how come by conscious choice and decision you are not prepared? You have not got on a wedding garment. How come? You knew coming to a wedding, this would be required of you. Now remember, go back, just go back now to the first scripture I talked about out of, out of Matthew 21. Remember said what he said, it'll be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of the kingdom. This is all about fruit bearing in your life. Relationship with Jesus that brings forth fruit. I want you to have a look with me and we're going to look into Revelation chapter 19. Let's have a look in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, here it is. And uh, Revelation 19, speaking of the same event, and uh, verse 6 is a voice of multitude of many waters, thousands of people, hallelujah for the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. Now verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honour or give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So she prepares for this coming day. Or putting it simply... To be part of what's about to happen, you must prepare yourself for this. This is your job to prepare yourself. The role of ministers is to do the help in the preparation. It's to equip you and to prepare you so you are able to function in what God wants for you. That is what it says here. And it says, And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. No, she got the garment on. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, Oh, these are true saints. And let's just go back into that again. Notice here it said she's made herself ready or made the preparations for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now I want you to understand something very clearly here. When it used, there are two, the word righteousness in the original language. Number one, there is a righteousness given to us that comes by faith. We've talked about that. By faith, uh, by grace you saved, through faith, no works. That is your standing with God. What it's talking about here is not that, and it uses a slightly different word. It means literally righteous acts. Okay, let's go back to it again, have a look. So she was granted to be, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now we need to understand that a little bit more. The righteous act of the saints. The word that's used for that has an Old Testament equivalent called sadaka. And the word means acts of generosity, acts of kindness, acts of justice, restoring, acting to do justice in the community. And 
people who are covenant people with God were expected that their lifestyle of walking with God would abound in acts of generosity, acts of kindness, acts of justice. This is very, very close to the heart of God. In fact, it was so close to the heart of God, in one part in Deuteronomy, he actually defines that everyone is required to be generous and kind and not to take advantage of people who are disadvantaged in any way, but to overflow and be generous to people. In other words, God has always expected love and generosity and kindness to flow from his people. And so it says here that these, the, the garments are the righteous acts or the acts of kindness and generosity. I'll just give you two or three references to it. To just, we won't look them all up, but in Matthew 6.1, he said, take care that your almsgiving is done in secret. That's the same word acts of kindness or generosity or giving to people in need. He's talking there about the motive for doing it. Make sure you don't do it just to be impressed and to impress people. He said, if you don't do it to impress people, you do it just to impress God, he will reward you. Acts of generosity are rewarded. When the New Testament, when, Cornelius, when God was looking for someone to pour his spirit out on, he chose Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, it says that your prayers and your generous almsgiving or acts of kindness and generosity have come up as a memorial to God. Notice what God noticed. He noticed the acts of generosity and kindness. Acts of generosity, acts of kindness. These things are noticed. Uh, James 1, 26 and 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Acts of kindness. That's what genuine, authentic Christianity is about. Acts of kindness in the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. In, and let's have, I want to just keep your fingers there and look, just look into Titus. And just in case you didn't think it applied to you, I want you to have a look at this. I want you to look at two or three verses in, in Titus. Here we go. And it says, uh, <laughs> I won't read it all. We'll just pick a couple of things out of there. In Titus, he said in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God, that's Christians, should be careful to maintain good works, acts of generosity and kindness. So the Bible's saying it's important that you make sure your life abounds in acts of generosity and kindness. Notice down there verse 14. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So there it is again. It keeps telling us that we, we need to be active in generosity and acts of kindness. Proactive. Why? So we will be fruitful and we will minister to the needs of people. And then uh, we'll give you one more verse there in uh, Titus again, chapter 2, verse 14. It says here, oops, no, that's the wrong verse. I'll find it here, 2.14. Here it is. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, acts of kindness. So no matter where you look in the scripture related to this, and there's many other places, it's very clear that we are saved by the gift of God resting on what Jesus did and we're saved for a purpose to bring forth fruit. And that fruit should look like acts of generosity, of kindness, of serving, of meeting the needs of people, of touching injustice and repairing injustice, of touching the lives of various people that are in need around us. And it's not only that, it says we're to be careful to maintain that. And I'll just share with you a couple of practical things you can do that will help that. So Christianity is never about coming to church meetings and it's actually not just about being able to move in the Spirit. 
It's actually about a whole lifestyle of being generous and overflowing and loving and kind and giving to people. This is what God called us to be like, not mean and stingy and withholding and tight and limited, but rather abundant like our Father is in heaven. It was, it was prescribed by law in the Old Testament and actually had to put money aside for sadaka. The word sadaka, acts of generosity, it also means righteousness. And so to be, to be right before God, we would, God would expect we would act rightly by being generous. Think about that. Quite challenging, isn't it? And so he saw the man who didn't have on the wedding garment. Oh, he didn't prepare himself. He did not do anything about ensuring his life abounded in generosity and kindness. He says, okay, I'm saved. I'll get there. He turns up there. If he turns up there, there's nothing there he's prepared himself with. You see, what you do now is preparing you for eternity and the role and realm you'll have in that. When you begin to see that, you realize everything you do now counts. Everything counts before God. Many times we get discouraged. We think that no one sees or doesn't seem to produce fruit and doesn't count. God sees. It counts all right. It counts if you understand that there's a track record being kept, a book written in heaven with everything that you're doing. No one saw what you were doing in quiet and in secret. No one saw the injustice that you addressed and helped fix up. No one saw the kindness that you showed. But God saw and God took note and you were preparing and when you come and bear before him, you will find there will be given to you actually a robe or a garment that reflects what you did on the earth. I would hope it would be a glorious garment. Clearly, garments can be little, you know, they, I mean, I'm a bit, 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 bit better dressed than I was yesterday, but not as good as I might be another day, you know. And we get there's various levels of garment. In glory, we all differ from one another. And the thing that makes the difference is what you did on the earth now. Think about that. And that makes sense to me. That makes great sense. And what makes sense is God is just. God is just. I see and read of someone in Korea and they laid their life down and suffered and suffered death for the, for the cross and then I see someone here and they're sort of half backslidden, turn up once in a while, no, not part of building anything for God. How can it be it's the same in eternity? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it isn't. It doesn't because there's no sense and it. it's not going to be like that. In eternity there's realms of glory, realms of reward, realms of positioning. Everything is different in eternity. You are preparing your eternal reward now. And so acts of generosity, acts of kindness. So what happens now to the man who didn't have any garment on? Well, we should probably close off now and not even look at that. But, but we'll, we'll, we pay to have a look at it. So what does it say to him? It doesn't look very nice, does it? We'll see if we can get some sense out of it. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. Oh, take him away. I don't like the message there very much. Do you? Okay, and they said, put him in the outer darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Many people, when they interpret it, they, what they do is they interpret it as though that was they're not saved now, they're, in, they're cast into hell. This is not hell it's talking about here. It's talking about the darkness outside something. Now, if, if a room here, I suppose it's not very light outside, and inside here is a house at night and it's brilliantly lit up. Have you ever seen a house brilliantly lit up? You know, the house is just a blaze of lights. So, and you're in the house, it's gloriously lit up and it's a wonderful place. But if you're outside the house, it's dark and it's the darkness outside the house. It's the darkness outside the celebration and the party. If you've ever been outside a party and looked in the window, it's dark outside, it's bright inside. It's happy inside, it's not so happy outside. And so when it says bind them hand and foot, the only conclusion I could come was that opportunity to be positioned there in that realm of reward 
is now gone. Secondly, cast them into outer darkness. The word outer darkness to me is referring that the person is not able to enter into all the things that God had for them. It's not that they're not saved. It's just there's no reward because their life has not li- they've not lived a life that reflected the value that would get that. Here's the last thing it, it says. is there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is just an oriental expression for grief. There's grief and regret. I do not want to end up in eternity with grief and regret. My life was wasted. I do not want to waste my life. So what could I do to grow acts of generosity? I'm going to run around now and do all kinds of things and get busy and burn myself out? No, not at all. I'll give you something really simple. I won't look at it in the scripture. You can look it up. But in Esther chapter 2, Esther, the, remember the king wanted a bride. And so all the women presented themselves and uh, the idea was that all of them would come into the king and he would check them out and he would decide which one was going to be the bride. And you notice there, they all then had to prepare. There was six months preparation of myrrh, uh, speaking of suffering or, uh, uh, or you know, some, some things that you have to deal with in your life. Uh, there was the six months uh, of uh, perfumes and then they would go in to prepare, to prepare for the, the king. Now, it's an interesting thing. It says all of the women there dressed themselves according to their own ideas or what they liked. But it says Esther submitted totally to Haggai, the king's court, uh, uh, chamberlain. He knew exactly what the king wanted and he told her how to prepare herself and he prepared herself, uh, prepared her out of the king's chamber. So when she appeared, she had grace on her before men and grace on her before God. Well, putting it very simply, it's not a matter of you just getting busy and running around doing lots of good works. Understand that? They'll just burn you out. That's doing what the woman did doing what they thought would impress. They all thought they knew what would impress. But, he, but, but, but Esther listened to Haggai. Haggai is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He listened, she listened to the Holy Spirit as to what she needed to do to prepare a heart and to put a hand to to be prepared for the king. And not only did she find favour with him, she found favour with people as well. Well, putting it simply in today's language, it's very simply like this. You one day have a great meeting with a great king and there's much at stake for you in that. Now is the time to be doing the preparation. And preparation involves heart and it involves our actions, what we do. We are to ensure that our life is full of good fruit. That means actions. That your light shine, that they may see your good works. You're doing something. And so how are we going to do that? Well, here's a few simple things. Very simple things. One, learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to him. Because he knows what works are prepared for you. You don't have to do what's prepared for someone else. If we remember we read in Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared for you, works for you to accomplish, not for someone else. So if you copy someone else's, you're missing the plot. You need to discover what God has prepared for you. That means build a devotional life and listen to the Holy Spirit. The second thing is availability. I need to free up my life so I'm available to God because I've noticed that acts of generosity and kindness are very inconveniently spaced. They don't come very conveniently. Uh, They come inconveniently. They come inconvenient to your time, inconvenient to your finance, inconvenient to everything. The opportunities to do acts of kindness actually interrupt your managed life. So one of the problems people have is that they fill their life too much. But what you can do is you can take your finances, for example, and free up some of your finances for intentional acts of generosity to people who can't help uh, people in need or things that God wants you to direct money to. Two, you can free up a little bit of your time and so your time is not so busy that if something comes up, you can't be available. 
When a person needs help to become a Christian, often they need it at a time inconvenient to you. That's the time to have an act of generosity. That's when your motive is checked out. If all we ever give is out of the overflow, we haven't given much at all. We didn't really need it. But when you reorganize your life, so your purpose in your life, that I will be a generous person and I will abound in grace and giving as the Holy Spirit directs me. I was in Cambodia one time and I remember going down. I was really troubled because there were all these people around that lost legs and all kinds of things and, and they were all begging me for money and I was thinking, oh, I just wanted to help everyone. And, then, and I realized I can't help everyone. And, and I said, God, what do I do? I'm being torn apart emotionally by this. And uh, he said, I don't want you to give to anyone unless I direct you to because many of them are doing this professionally and they're out to con you. And they actually got a professional scam going and they make a lot of money out of this deal. So he said, don't give unless I tell you. And I had this next case came to me. I thought, oh, no, I must help. And the Lord said, no, he's a professional. Don't help. I'll show you when to help. And he did show me when to help. You understand there's a need to be listening to the Holy Spirit and then there's a part of us which just needs to grow and just be a kind, generous person anyway. Because if you are a generous person, you're constantly thinking of ways to be generous. And this reflects what God is like. And this is laying up a reward. This is laying up a garment of generosity. See, when you're doing acts of generosity and kindness, you're manifesting the nature of God. He will adorn you greatly in that day. And what a day that will be. What a day. What a challenge for us, not to live our life at the moment, but to live with eternity in mind and learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit and cultivate a life of generosity. Is that a challenge for you? How many felt God challenged you today about this? Thank you, Lord. Let's just close our eyes right now. Bow our heads. And we want to be honour the Lord. We want to honour him. One of the musicians up. Uh, perhaps there's someone here today and you're not yet a Christian. You haven't come to Christ. Well, the invitation goes out for you today to come to Christ, to come to the Son of God, to come to the one who loves you, who came from heaven, to die on the cross for your sins to save you. The invitation is to come to him. Would you come to him today? The Bible tells us we're born in this world separated from God by sin, a tendency to go our own way and live our own life with our own thoughts. God sent his son to die on the cross so the power of that could be broken and we could live and walk with God. So to become a Christian is to engage in a relationship with God and begin to walk and live with him. Is there anyone here today right at that place to make that decision? Would you raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand. If there's anyone here today right at that place making that decision? Right at that place making that decision. Is there anyone here today? God bless. God bless. Hand go up there. Okay, thank you. I see the hands. Anyone else? God bless. Hand over there. God bless. Thank you. I just didn't notice. Anyone else? There's two people responding. Is there anyone else today right need to make that decision to receive Jesus? God bless. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Young fellow. Is there anyone else? The great presence of God. I wonder how many people here today and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But that'd be a great day to get filled with the Spirit of God because God wants you filled with His Spirit so you can actually be an overflowing, generous person and, and be an abundant person. That's why He gives to us the Holy Spirit, gives us the gift of tongues so we can build a life where we flow with the Spirit. Is that you? Would you raise your hand if anyone here today? You're perhaps at that place, a number of people. Praise the Lord. Okay. I wonder how many people today God is speaking to you about changing your life, dealing with the issue of perhaps self-centeredness and starting to become a more generous person, generous with your time, generous with your finance, generous with your gift. Generosity means lots of things, different things to different people, but do you know God was speaking to you today about adding in to your life this whole dimension? It comes out of knowing that he's a generous God 
and we become like. If God's speaking to you that way, would you raise your hand today? Just raise your hand. God bless. Many hands going up. Many hands going up. And I would be glad if the other people who didn't put their hands up are extremely generous people. That would be very pleasing. What a great church to be full of generous people, loving people, abundant people. That would be a great thing. That's God's heart. That's God's plan. If, if we're not like that, it's most likely we're caught in bondage. And we'll look at another session how to address that, how to deal with that. Bondage of poverty, there's not enough for me, so therefore there's little to give over. We need to address that. But today is a great day to just honour Jesus. We're going to sing a song. Just we, we have that song before, we're just honouring him and lifting up and exalting him. Let's go back into that. I love those people who put their hand up to receive Jesus. Why don't you make your way to the front? Just come and stand here in front of me so I can lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. Let's just stand together. Let's give them a clap. There's someone over here, a young man, a young woman over here. You came with a friend. Let your friend come up with you. Friend can come up with you. Someone over here. Is there anyone else wanting to receive Jesus? Why don't you come? Anyone else? There's a young man over there. Young woman over here. God bless. Come on over. That's right. God bless you. Hey, how you doing? Mike, what's your name? God bless you. Hello there. How you doing? Good to have you here. I'm so glad. You come with someone to do Awesome. That's great. What's your name, dear? Jody, that's a great name. Well, I'm so glad you've responded. So just relax. If you just close your eyes, just relax. Church, just let's close our eyes right now. We're going to lead you in a prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and everyone will pray the prayer. Come on, Come on. You're welcome to come. Come on. Does someone stand with Praise God. Just all the church, just close our eyes now. When we talk to God and we mean what we say, He hears that and He responds. Today's just a prayer of invitation. Responding to His invitation to you to come into relationship. So I'm going to lead you in the prayer like just to listen and then repeat the prayer after me and God will hear that prayer. Are we ready? Church, why don't you help these young ones as they respond to Jesus today? And I want to tell you this, no matter what you've done wrong, whatever's been done wrong to you, God will wipe that away. It won't be in your way. He'll take it away. Today's a new day. Today's a new day. God always loves that new beginnings for us. We're ready now. Let's just follow in prayer. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins to rise again from the dead. Lord, today I acknowledge I've been a sinner. I turn from sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive all my sins and give me a new start. I receive your Spirit into my life. I receive your forgiveness and I give you my life today. Before heaven and earth, I declare Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and my friend forever. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for this dear woman here. Lord, just touch her with your love today. Pour your anointing and your presence into her. You've carried tremendous grief from broken relationships. God wants you to know he will never let you down as people have let you down. He will always be a friend to you. 
loves you, wants to help you. So it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's not your fault. Father, I just thank you for this young man here. Thank you, Lord, you love him. He's a great young man. I, I sense the Lord showing me that you just have, that you're a great young man. You've been able to stand in the midst of tremendous difficulties. I mean, tremendous difficulties and conflicts and pressures around you, but nevertheless, you, there's something in you knows I'm called for something bigger. And you are. You're called to be a leader. God's put leadership into your heart. Not just go with the crowd, but to stand up and be different. Lord wants you to know today was a great first step. He wants to raise you up like David. To be a true worshipper. A man who walks with God and fights the Lord's battle. God loves you, son. Father, I just thank you for Jodie. Thank you, Lord, that you love her. Jodie, you've got a lot of reason to be hurt, a lot of reason for pain. I want you just to let it go to him. Injustice is a very difficult thing to handle. And we treat it unjustly. We feel so angry and so hurt by it all. So we can come to the cross, we can come to Jesus, who was treated very, very unjustly, and release our injustices to him. So, well, doesn't seem right. But letting them go makes room for you to go forward and move on beyond what others have done. This is a great new day for you. God wants you to know he loves you. He sees that you're a very creative person. You've got great creativity inside you. It's been pushed down that you're creative by nature. And because you're creative, you're quite sensitive. So things affect you very deeply. God wants to bring forth the creativity in your life. It's something that he'll help you with. Become very creative. Use that to learn finance and grow in life. Say, well, I want you to know he loves you. Amen. So just give them all a clap. And just appreciate each of one who's Someone's got a gift for you just behind you. God bless you, dear. Someone's got a gift for you just behind you there. God bless you. Someone's got a gift for you just behind you.